Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America. Well, this is going to have a major impact on the environment, what we're doing. Specifically reducing carbon in the air as we begin to move these 500,000 charging stations around the world. I mean, around the country. And ultimately, it's going to take millions of barrels of oil off the road. This has been the President of the United States of America. May God have mercy on our souls. Stu does America. It's true, I do. Uh, StuDoesMerch.com. It's the uh, promo code Stu10. You'll save 10% on all the best conservative merch. If you're watching on YouTube, like this video right now. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Do all the things. Vivek Ramaswamy is going to be here uh, with the latest on his war against wokeness. John Fetterman is back out of commission yet again. I'll give you the details on that. But we start by doing women in their prime. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing today. This is a long, sordid tale, but let's get right to it. It starts with Nikki Haley announcing uh, her presidential run. And part of the thing that Nikki is trying to do is to point out that maybe, I don't know, electing another 80-year-old is not a great idea. And that's kind of been her main separation point against the only other candidate in the race on the Republican side, Donald Trump. She obviously worked for Donald Trump in the administration and is trying to say, look, maybe it's time for a new generation of leadership. That's been central to her point. And she uh, is also saying, look, maybe we need some mental competency checks uh, checks for people over 75. Uh, You just saw or heard a clip from Joe Biden where he does not sound like he's mentally competent. We also are going to talk about John Fetterman later, uh, but he's he's under 75. Anyway, it's I don't know. Would it be even a bad idea to have a mental competency test for everybody? We'd have no representatives probably at that point. But this is a pretty meager request. She's not she's not saying anything demanding. Hey, what about, uh, you know, know, if you're in your prime, you don't have to worry about this. If you're after 75, maybe you have a test just to make sure everything's still clicking up there. Not a crazy, crazy request. Well, Don Lemon was very upset about that. Why? Because Nikki Haley is a Republican. It's the only reason why, of course. Uh, CNN's Don Lemon outrageously claims Nikki Haley isn't in her prime as co-host Fox. I want to play this clip for you to give you the full context, of course. Uh, Don Lemon is hosting a show with Poppy Harlow and Caitlin Collins. And uh, Nikki Haley, by the way, in case you were wondering, is 51 years old. Here's uh, the, I guess, the thing that Don Lemon wants you to understand about, you know, women. And he, look, Don Lemon knows the ladies. I think we all know that. Here's Don Lemon talking about women in general. This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that, I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What do you that's talk, not acor- wait. I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll say. If you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. Forties. Oh, I got another. I'm not saying decade. I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about saying that you know politicians aren't in their I think prime. You need to qualify. Are you talking about prime for like childbearing, or are you talking about prime for being president? What the facts are. Google it. Everybody at home. When is a woman in her prime? It says twenties, thirties, and forties. And I'm just saying Nikki Haley should be careful about saying that politicians are not in their prime and they need to be in their prime when they serve because she wouldn't be in her prime according to Google Google or whatever it is. (laughs) They hate each other and I'm totally here for it. I love it. Um, This is obviously completely ridiculous, right? I mean, just first off, if you're in your prime only, 
in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, it really makes a narrow, narrow path for a woman to ever be president, considering you need to be 35 to even qualify for the job. So they, they've got a couple of years, guys. I'm sorry, one or two elections. That's all you got to run for president. Then you're past your prime. Secondarily, I think that is what he was actually doing. Now, of course, the co-hosts, Caitlin Collins, first of all, Caitlin Collins, um, I, I love these, uh, their, their faces as this was going on. Here's Caitlin Collins. She's kind of like leaning back going like, what the hell did he just say? And then Poppy Harlow is like, is, is, this, is this happening? Where? The, just the faces are utterly fantastic uh, to, to watch. And so I think what really, I mean, look, Don Lemon's an idiot. I think we all know that. Um, and Don Lemon is, you know, he's not going to make good points. We know that. But, like, I think the actual process of what happened was Nikki Haley says something about being in their prime. And he says, well, she's not in her prime. And literally Googles, when are women in their prime? Because if you do that, you get something similar to what he said. It says a woman's prime is referring to an age range where a woman feels physically and sexually at her peak, often in her late 30s to early 40s, but can extend far into the 50s. So it's not even accurate to say that she wouldn't be in her prime by that definition. But what a weird definition. We're talking about a possible president of the United States. Many, many leaders are in their prime in their 50s as president of the United States. Now, look, Don is not all that interested in women's uh, functions. It's not been a priority of his life. He's got other things on his mind. But I will say to it's incredibly sexist to uh, to boil down the the experience of being a female and what you can accomplish into just childbearing years. I mean, that does seem to be what he's doing. And, you know, I watched, unfortunately, far too much Don Lemon over the years, and I don't remember him having the same problem with, let's say, Hillary Clinton. Was there ever a moment he's like, ah, she's way past her prime. I mean, come on, this is absolutely ridiculous. In fact, I don't remember him doing this with any other woman other than Nikki Haley. This doesn't seem to be a real concern. It just, it's just like a guy who just wants to attack the other side with no, no basis whatsoever. And it's, complete, it's obviously completely offensive. We can go down the road that if a Republican or a conservative did something like this, you'd see the exact opposite reaction from the media. The media seems to be pretty much silent unless you're on the right. Now, will CNN do anything about it? I mean, who knows? Uh, the, the chances of that seem to be pretty low. But it is really, really offensive, and it would be more offensive if Don Lemon was a, a bit smarter. Like, I, I think he's just such an idiot that it's easy to pass this one by. He did try to apologize, sort of, for it. He said, the reference I made to a woman's prime this morning was inartful and irrelevant, as colleagues and loved ones have pointed out. And I regret it. A woman's age doesn't define her either, uh, her either personally or professionally. I have countless women in my wife, my, my life that prove that every day. Actually, has no women in his wife because he's unmarried at this uh, particular uh, juncture. And I don't think a wife is going to be the right way to describe his partner at that time if he does get married. That's just the thing that he's just out there talking about. I think that we should sit here and like maybe judge what he's saying. Uh, and, and you kind of look at what he's saying and I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't seem to be inartful. Does he apologize to Nikki Haley here? No. In fact, Nikki Haley came out and, and wound up calling him out on this. But what's fascinating about this, I think, most of all, is it's sort of this thing where you, if you have a really good player on your team, you got, let's say, Jalen Hurts. He's fantastic. If Jalen Hurts does something stupid, the Eagles are going to make lots and lots of excuses and probably try to keep him around no matter what. This is not Jalen Hurts. This is like uh, 
the worst quarterback in the league. Don Lemon sucks. He's bad at his job. He's not good at this thing that he's attempting to do on a daily basis. And you wonder, why is it that they keep him around? Now, I would guess the reason is if they fire him, he will go crazy and say he's being fired because he's gay or he's black or whatever the uh, whatever intersectional group I've missed out on, whichever one he has. He'll say that's the reason and hold uh, you know, a gun to the head of CNN. I assume that's why they've kept him around this long. I mean, Don Lemon's CNN this morning ratings, well, in steady decline since his November debut. CNN's Don Lemon snapped at Caitlin Collins for interrupting him. Now, Caitlin Collins has been, you know, kind of an up and coming star over at CNN for a while. She actually was at the Daily Caller a while ago, uh, but became a White House reporter and is now hosting the morning show. She's kind of on the upswing of her career um, while Don's on the downswing. Why are you putting up with this? Why would you do this? What, what's the point? Uh, another controversy, Don Lemons draws ire of female co-hosts by crapping on women's soccer. Like, you know, of course he's going to be right once in a while, but that doesn't excuse what he's done in these other situations. Sure, he's going to be right on the money every once in a while, but, you know, not every time. Now, this brings everybody's mind back to the whole Chris Cuomo saga. Chris Cuomo, of course, uh, had, you know, he was grabbing women's uh, butts uh, at work. He uh, was accused of sexual harassment. He was uh, helping out his brother navigate his scandals, uh, writing speeches for him that 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 he, Andrew Cuomo would would eventually give, and then CNN would cover, even though it was written by really one of their own hosts. He eventually gets fired for all of that. And you know, again, we we talked about this for a while at the time with Andrew Cuomo is awful.com and Chris Cuomo is worse.com. You get to this point where you just think, why, why are they putting up with this? At the time, maybe it made some sense because leadership at CNN was so utterly insane that they wanted this guy around no matter what. They also had guns to each other's heads. They both seemed to have secrets about the other. So that kept him employed for a very long time, long past his expiration date. Uh, But Don Lemon, really? I mean, there's new leadership there. You think their reaction to something like this is going to tell you a lot about what direction they're going in. By the way, Chris Cuomo is back in the news. He uh, said he wanted to kill everybody after he got fired. So that was good. If you don't believe me, here's the clip. This is from the the Mooch podcast. Anthony Scaramucci, apparently. He's, he's around, too, just like Chris Cuomo. Accepted. I had to accept because I was going to kill everybody, uh, including myself. Things can consume you. Italians are so passionate. And I really had to fight against that because, you know, just like you did, I got too many people counting on me. Mm, are there a lot of people counting on you, Chris? Are there? That would that would honestly surprise me. But don't worry. Yes, he has all these outbursts. He gets in fights with people biking past him. He's, uh, you know, getting out and exposing others to covid when he has it. He's doing all sorts of things like that uh, and uh, apparently wants to kill everyone around him and also himself. But that's just because he's Italian. When, When you're Italian, you're passionate and therefore passion leads to threatening the lives of everyone around you. Um. This is really, really disturbing, and it makes you think of where CNN is right now. We've covered CNN and CNN Rehab uh, for a while uh, on this program, and the rehab of CNN has been interesting. I mean, I think they've actually improved some of the things on on the air there. They've hired a couple of good people. Uh, You know, as we've said, and this is too complimentary for a lot of conservatives, and I'm going to say it anyway. This network has gone from an F to a a solid D-minus, and they may be on the way 
to a solid D if they can do something uh, about this Don Lemon situation. Look, Don Lemon shouldn't be on the air, not because he made some idiotic comment about uh, women, you know, like... You know, it's dumb, and I think a lot of people will get very upset about it, and, and I can understand why. But a comment here, a comment there, even if they're bad, you should be able to, to navigate those waters. The bigger issue here is that he sucks at his job. He's not good at, he's not good at his job. He wasn't good at his job when he was in prime time. He's not good at his job now. I mean, he should know something about not being in his prime. He's no longer in prime time. He's, he's not in his prime either. And the fact that he's going after Nikki Haley, who, by the way, is six years younger than him, tells you quite a lot about what this guy thinks about women. He has a weird hang up here. He's had multiple incidents down this road, and they seem to be very consistent in tone. Will CNN do anything about it? I don't know. It will be interesting to see if they do. Uh, This is a pretty embarrassing thing for the network. And the network has had their fill of embarrassment, frankly, over the past five or six years. So... We'll see. Will Don Lemon survive the in their prime controversy? It'll be interesting to watch. I'm not in my prime getting these papers organized. Um, it'll be interesting to watch, but I think there is a, a part of, of, of me that kind of wants this to go on because it's going to give us nonstop con- uh, content. I, I, every other day, Don Lemon's saying something stupid on the show, and he's very, he's very angry because he used to have his own show where he could say all the stupid things to nobody, and maybe to Chris Cuomo as they were uh, covering, uh, they were crossing over programs. Now he's got two women around him and he's not dealing with it very well. It's, it's kind of fascinating to watch. And, you know, if he's anything like Chris Cuomo, I just pray for their safety because uh, at any point there could be an outburst of anger or violence or worse. And I don't want that to happen to anybody. We will watch the situation and uh, give you updates as he says more dumb things. We have Vivek Ramaswamy coming up here in just a second, back in just a couple of minutes. Are you the most healthy person in the universe? Um, Probably not if you listen to the show. I feel like if you watch the show, you're probably unhealthy. I don't know. I'm sorry. That's kind of what I feel like. Hey, you're watching me test, you know, uh, test different candies and foods every day. I mean, you know, that's just... You can't be healthy watching the show. It's just impossible. Now, if you aren't the most healthy person in the world, you may want to uh, take care of your liver. In fact, even if you are healthy, why would you not want to take care of your liver? It's kind of important in your body. I've read this in multiple medical journals. Uh, The latest data from the American Heart Association indicates that adults with fatty liver were 3.5 times more likely to have heart failure than those without. We throw everything at our livers, cholesterol and alcohol and toxins and Tylenol and statins and cigarettes. And that's why so many of us have sluggish, fatty liver, which makes us gain weight and lose energy. It's time to help your liver along a little bit. And they have a solution now. It's called Liver Health Formula, an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. Manufactured right here in the U.S. and approved by American doctors. So if you're looking to ignite your fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy, transform how you look and feel, try Liver Health Formula and receive five free gifts when you order today. You get a bottle of blood sugar formula as well to reduce your sugar cravings, and you get four free eBooks to support every aspect of your health. Try Liver Health Formula by by going to getliverhelp.com slash stew. Claim your five free bonus gifts right now. That's getliverhelp.com slash stew. Check it out.
I'm happy to welcome Vivek Ramaswamy to the program. He is the co-founder and executive chairman of Strive Asset Management and author of Nation of Victims, Identity Politics, The Death of Merit, and The Path Back to Excellence, which you can pick up now wherever you get your books. Vivek, thanks so much for coming on the program. Good to be on. How are you? Yeah, very well, very well. Your identity politics are it's so interesting to see the death of merit in this country. You know, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday where, you know, we have these, uh, you know, people where, you know, the president of the United States comes out and says, I'm only going to pick a black woman for this role and a, a black uh, you know, person of color for this role. And look, I understand how well that tests, I guess, to some people out there. But when you're taking out 95 percent of your options, you're not picking the best candidate. You're eliminating many people that might be just as good. There's this thing where now the left is is, is picking people from other immutable characteristics first and then looking at merit. And it's, that's supposed to be the opposite of what we're doing. Yes, it is a form of psychological slavery, by the way. I think this assault on merit is an assault on the American soul. I think we need to put the merit back into America. And that goes for every sphere of our lives. If you, even if you think about this at a macro philosophical level, merit in who gets into this country. Think about that, right? Letting people in whose first act of entering this country is a law-breaking one, instead of actually law-abiding, contributing citizens who could be immigrants to this country. Merit in who gets ahead, of course. I mean, this was Martin Luther King's vision not that long ago, that you get ahead in this country, not in the color of your skin, but in the content of your character and your contributions. And I just think that this, this is evidence of, of, I would say, a form of self-hatred in America, because this was the defining spirit that you could get ahead in this country with your own hard work, your own commitment, and your own dedication. That created the greatest nation known to mankind, the greatest system, of, the greatest economic engine known to mankind. Yet now we feel the need to apologize for it, and part of how we apologize for it is through this attack on merit itself. How do the American people view this, uh, Vivek? Because I think if you watch the media, almost everything is the opposite. We're not looking at merit at all. We're looking at all these other characteristics, these other ways to sort people into these, you know, globs of, uh, you know, these group of, of, of race and, and color and religion and all these other things. Do the American people sense that this is wrong? Do they still have that same spirit that made this country so great? I think they do, but they're afraid to speak about it in the open. And this is where the assault on merit intersects with the assault on free speech, because those two created a confluence that gives us this new woke cancer in America. You know, the things that we were just talking about, the values of making sure you get ahead on the base of the content of your contributions rather than the color of your skin. I think most Americans believe these things to be true. I think most Americans also think their neighbors and their colleagues and their teammates and their classmates believe these things to be true, too. But they can't be sure about it because you're not allowed to talk about that in the open in the modern day. And so what I think is we're a hair's trigger away from an American revival if we can get this right. All we needed to do is break down those conversational silos, start talking openly again. And what we will realize is maybe not every person, but about 80% of this country is fully committed to those ideals. Maybe they disagree about corporate tax rates, but those basic rules of the road, I think most of this country is on board for whether they're black or white or even Democrat or Republican. And that's why I see, I'm so optimistic about the possibility of this American revival, even though it seems like we're in this inevitable national decline. 
I don't think it actually has to be that way. But the question is whether we can actually get to a place where we can start talking about that openly again. If so, we're on a path to our best days ahead. I honestly believe that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and one of the things you've talked about a lot coming on the radio program as well is the, the ESG stuff, uh, environmental, yes. social, and governance standards that it's sort of the same thing, right? It's taking merit out of, in this case, maybe investment and, and money in the in the economy. Um, and I've, I've heard people talking about this lately where they say, look, you know, the ESG thing, I understand it's important, but like people, the average American has no idea what it even is. Can you kind of bring people from zero to 60 on this so they understand what, what, what they're looking at and what the dangers are? Sure, yeah, I think it's really important that people see it. So what's happening today is a handful of large financial institutions are using the money of everyday citizens, probably many if not most of you watching this right now, to tell American companies to adopt racial equity audits, to adopt emissions caps in ways that actually most Americans whose money they're investing disagree with. That's a large scale form, of, it's a fiduciary breach. That may be a long way of saying it's a kind of financial fraud. Telling clients you're actually gonna do one thing focused exclusively on making money when in fact you're pushing these environmental and social goals along with it. Not just by picking stocks differently, but more importantly, by voting your shares and telling CEOs in this country how they're supposed to adopt these social agendas. That's a problem, it's a breach of trust. But the good news is Americans can solve that problem for themselves. They don't have to wait to every November to go to the ballot box. They can self-educate about whether or not their money was used to vote for a racial equity audit at a company like Apple or Home Depot, as happened just last year with trillions of dollars worth of capital under management. The good news is I still think that Americans are empowered to take action if they can educate themselves. And that's why I think that knowledge as it was for one of my heroes, Frederick Douglass in American history, knowledge can be the path to liberation today as well. Yeah, and I know you did this with your company as well. You, you, you came on the radio and talked about this fund that you started. It was kind of a, an anti-ESG fund, right? A fund that uh, let people have their money invested in a way that made sense and, and avoided all this nonsense. I should point out, uh, up, because I, I know the day you came on, I invested, and we're up, I think, 17%. So, uh, and the, first of all, very good results, which is, which is great. Um, but this I'm is- ha I'm happy to- yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that. I would say that that was the whole premise behind why I founded Strive. Strive right. is a new asset manager to compete against the likes of BlackRock. I do believe in market solutions. And so that's why that's part of what I've focused on over the last several years. What, what's the line between because uh, I think we're at this point on the on the right right now. When you're talking about conservative thought, there's an interesting battle going on between um, the I don't know, the inherent animal instincts of, of conservatives that just don't want the government involved in anything, which I think, mm. I, you know, I'm very much engaged in that belief. I, I, I don't want them. I, they scare me. I am, I am with the idea that Ronald Reagan talked about, about them being this, you know, this, they are the problem. On the other hand, we are at a point where the, the left seems to be going around many of the systems and structures that have been built. And the market doesn't seem to be solving these problems all the time. How do we, how do we actually uh, improve things for the everyday, everyday average American without getting our hands so invested in their, in their daily lives and controlling too much for any conservative to handle? You're right on target with that question. That is the defining dilemma for conservatism today, but there's a way out. And the way out is actually seeing the essence of what's going on. The essence of what's actually going on is in many cases, government is effectively using these private parties to do through the back door what government could not get done through the front door under the constitution. That's why I don't even call it big tech censorship anymore. It's not. 
It is government tech censorship, mm. where the US government is shielding these companies with a special form of immunity, threatening them, directing them to take down specific speech that's critical of the government. This is exactly what the First Amendment was created to guard against. And yet, that's what the, comp that what the government's able to do by using the shield of private companies to hide behind. So I say if it is state action in disguise, then the constitution still applies. These companies ought to be bound by the first amendment when they're doing the government's own dirty work. Another area where you see this is the viewpoint-based discrimination in the workforce, where people are fired for saying the wrong thing or even wearing the hat of the wrong political candidate. Now, what you'll hear from the people who memorized slogans back in 1980 in the conservative movement is to say that that's just the free market. Well, not quite actually, because we have protected classes in this country for race, sex, sexual orientation, religion, national origin. I say if you have those protected classes, political expression ought to be a protected class as a civil right in America too. You can't have it both ways. And I can go one step deeper on this if you're interested. The protected classes of race, for example, created viewpoint-based discrimination, which is a bit of a counterintuitive point, mm. but it's because these statutes have been interpreted so broadly to say that even if you create a hostile work environment for someone who's a member of a protected class, then that itself is grounds for a civil rights violation. And how do you create a hostile work environment? It's by expressing an opinion that someone finds distasteful. So that is creating the very conditions for viewpoint discrimination through government action while leaving political viewpoints, for example, unprotected. So I resist this idea that it's actually just the free market, the invisible Adam Smith hand. No, it's not. It is the invisible fist of government often lurking behind the scenes. You see the same thing in the ESG movement, John Kerry leaning on financial institutions to sign a climate pledge not to lend to Alaskan drillers when in fact that's still legal under the law. That's not the, that's not the decision of the free market. That's a government actor, crony capitalism. Banks are not charitable institutions. It's a quid pro quo. And so I think we need to see through that on how the US government, and also this is the more, where the story takes a dark turn, the Chinese government, by the way, has used deputizing companies to do the same thing. So that's the unique challenge we face today. And I don't think the old school conservatives who just recite what they memorized 40 years ago are gonna do us any good, but we have to channel that spirit into meeting the challenges that we face today through this merger of state power and corporate power that's more powerful than either one alone. Yeah, because we saw this with the Twitter files as well, where you know people like Adam Schiff were just emailing Twitter and being like, hey, can you push pull down these posts? And you know, why, I, I agree with your analysis of, of how that it br br crosses a line on the First Amendment, but it strikes me as we should have explicit rules and laws passed against this type of behavior. A person who, I mean, you get an ear of some of course, random Twitter of employee you and you get an email from Adam Schiff telling you to do something, you don't, you don't want to deal with the hassle if you don't do that. And, and it's, the, the pressure created there is essentially the First Amendment being slaughtered in, in real time. And it's an implicit threat to those companies that if they don't do it, then they're gonna get regulated, they're gonna get lambasted, et cetera. So, so what you have going on in this country, if you really wanna get into the political philosophy and history of this is, it's a waterfall of political accountability. Hmm. We have a constitution that empowered Congress to make the laws. Well, in the pre-1980 version, what happened in the 70s is this administrative state cancer that delegated that to the alphabet soup of the SEC to the FTC to the FDA to the you know FAA, goes on to that federal government's alphabet soup. But today, it's a second step in that waterfall that they're now delegating that authority to a new alphabet soup. FB, G-O-O-G, MSFT, AAPL, mm. BLK, that's BlackRock's ticker. 
and that's, I think this waterfall, this, this acronymization, this cascade of political accountability away from where the citizens can actually hold their leaders accountable, that is what's going on. We need to wake up to it. I mean, I think the next US president, one of the simplest things they could do is do what Elon Musk did at Twitter, say we're gonna release the state action files. Anytime a government official in the last five years has pressured a private actor to take an action that the government couldn't take directly, we need to at least put the sunlight on that. Roll that yeah. log over. Let's see what crawls out. It, it will not be pretty. But I think we have to first go through the ugly before we get to the solutions. That's fantastic. And Vivek, one more before you go. I mean, there's a big political uh, Politico profile uh, of you talking. You mentioned the presidency. They're saying, you know, you're thinking about running. Uh, is that true? And, and what, what's your vision for the country if you would go down that road? So I am very seriously considering it. I expect to make a decision in the near term. And my vision for the country is restore our national identity. I think there's a black hole of a vacuum at the heart of the American soul that runs so deep that allows wokeism and climatism and transgenderism to prey on that void. What we need to do as a conservative movement is now move beyond just doing what people like me have been doing, playing whack-a-mole, criticizing it, trying to stamp out the poison one at a time to now fill that vacuum with a vision of American national identity that runs so deep that it dilutes that woke agenda to irrelevance with those principles you and I were just talking about, from merit to free speech to democratic self-governance. And if we do those things, and only if we do those things, can we actually take on the real existential challenges we'll face in the next decade. Top of the list is communist China. That's gonna take sacrifices, by the way. It's not like the Soviet Union. This time they put the phones in our pocket and the shoes on our feet. That means we're gonna to have to make sacrifices to decouple from an enemy we depend on for our modern way of life. But we can make those sacrifices if we know what we're actually sacrificing for. And that is this idea we call America. Mm. It's, a, it's a great message and one we need right now. Vivek Ramaswamy, he's a co-founder and executive chairman of Strive Asset Management, author of Nation of Victims, Identity Politics, The Death of Merit, and The Path Back to Excellence, and maybe, maybe presidential candidate soon. Be sure to pick up a copy of the book today. Vivek, thanks so much for coming on the program. Good luck. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, I want to tell you about Grip6, a great company. You know, we were just talking about this, about how, you know, China's putting the shoes on your, uh, he's mentioning China putting the shoes on your, uh, on your feet and the phone in your pocket and, of course, TikTok in your kid's brain. Um, maybe not the best approach. Just throwing that out there. Grip6 is a company that does a lot of the stuff that you need for every day. You know, you've got, they've got great wallets. They've got great uh, socks. They've got great belts. And they do this in Utah. They are a company that sells in the United States and all over the world, but they source almost everything they make right here in America. They believe in this country. They believe in the, in the principles we were just talking about. You gotta check these guys out. You're gonna love their stuff and you're gonna love these people. These are people who love the country like you love the country. And I mean, these days, that's really important. You can't just buy from anybody. Grip6.com slash stew. Grip6.com slash stew. Use the code stew. Save 15% off. Uh, grip the number 6.com slash stew. Go there. Grip6.com slash stew. Get 15% off today with the code stew. Joe Biden talked a little bit about the balloon thing today and said, of course, the first one was the Chinese balloon. The others were not. They don't think from China. They think they were from uh, other organizations. And some of them are very scary organizations. One of them, we think we've tracked down the NIBBB. Um, by the way, that's uh, the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. 
the NIBBB. Uh, the circumstantial evidence is intriguing. The club's silver-coated party-style Pico balloon reported its last position on February 10th at 38,910 feet off the west coast of Alaska. A popular forecasting tool, the high-split model provided by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, projected the cylindrically shaped object will be floating high over the central part of Yukon Territory on February 11th. That is the same day Lockheed Martin F-22 shot down an unidentified object of a similar description at an altitude in the same general area. Now, this goes into apparently Pico balloons are a thing. Uh, this this is a, a it's a very small balloon cost between twelve and one hundred and eighty dollars. And I guess this is something that uh, it's just like a hobby. Uh, there's a lot of the people around the world who do this, but they're so small. No one really pays attention to them. They can go you know very high depending on what kind of uh, what kind of um, material is used in the balloon. And so they think this is just maybe, maybe a hobby club, and we, we use an F-22 to take it down. So that's, that's pretty good, right? Like, that's a sign of a competent nation. Uh, Diane, speaking of competent nations, Diane Feinstein, uh, she yesterday, we, we followed the saga where we joked about her saying she wouldn't even know about her own retirement. And then the next day, a reporter asked her about her retirement, and she didn't know about her own retirement. And she said, literally, no, I didn't put that out a statement about that. And then her aide said, yes, yes, we did. We did earlier today. Oh, we did do that. Well, yes, yes, we did. I mean, it's really, really sad. She's honest. She's a hundred miles past gone at this point mentally. Uh, today, she apparently came out of the Senate chamber and asked the question, did I vote for that? said the, uh, an insider overheard the California Democrat ask her longtime chief of staff, um, and he said, uh, no, no, he did not vote for that, because she wasn't aware if she voted for it, because she's mentally completely checked out. Speaking of checking out mentally, this happened long ago for John Fetterman, and he's having all sorts of problems. Uh, he had, of course, the mental acuity issues. He had the stroke issues. Now he's having depression issues. Uh, Pennsylvania U.S. Senator John Fetterman's chief of staff, Adam Gentleson, on Thursday released the following statement. Last night, Gen uh, Senator John Fetterman checked himself into Walter Reed National Military uh, Center to re uh, receive treatment for clinical depression. While John has experienced depression off and on throughout his life, it only became severe in recent weeks. On Monday, John was evaluated by Dr. Brian P. Moynihan, the attending physician of the United States Congress. Yesterday, Dr. Moynihan uh, recommended inpatient care at Walter Reed. John agreed, and he is receiving treatment on a voluntary basis. After examining John, the doctors at Walter Reed told us that John is getting the care he needs and will soon be back to himself. How many times are we going to be told this? How many times? How many times are we going to be told that this guy's going to be back to himself? I mean, be, to be completely honest, I am really, I'm sad for his medical situation, but being back to himself still sucks. He's awful. He's awful in every way. He'd be a terrible senator if he ever gets to work. Uh, I don't, I, I don't want him to have uh, health problems. I, I think that's it's really awful and I'm sure very difficult for the family to deal with. But uh, frankly, he shouldn't have been put in this position in the first place. It is legitimately one of the most embarrassing things this country has ever done in politics. Putting this man in office after we saw him go through that campaign and watched him in that debate. It is one of the most embarrassing things we've ever seen. Uh, it's disgusting. You know, Dianne Feinstein has been in office since like 1857. Okay, she's been in there forever. Many of those years she was uh, coherent 
And obviously, towards the end, she no longer is. But like, you know, you can almost understand in some ways, okay, this happened with Woodrow Wilson, too. He was incapacitated in office, and they kind of just shuffled him around and tried to keep keep it going. But he wasn't incapacitated before he went into office. Fetterman was incapacitated the entire time you've known his name. He was incapacitated before the stroke. I would argue, but certainly after the stroke, you'd have to say he was incapacitated. And Pennsylvania put him in office anyway. It is one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen. And they continue to weekend at Bernie's, this guy, around Congress. I mean, it's just, it's just an embarrassment. It needs to stop. He, I mean, they're going to eventually probably remove him for health reasons and put in his wife or somebody else, which is also a disgraceful thing. The whole thing's a disgrace. And, uh, I mean, I wish him the best. I hope he gets better. But, uh, you know, for the country's sake, this has got to stop. We turn on the news or open up Twitter these days, and one thing becomes blatantly obvious. The world is in need of desperate, desperately in need of good, godly men. That's what inspired Jason Whitlock to organize Fearless Army Roll Call, an all-day event to encourage men to put on the full armor of God to take a stand against the evil forces destroying American culture. At this conference, you will hear inspiring speeches from Jason himself and several special guests that will inspire you to be a better husband, father, and witness of Christ. Roll Call will inspire, uplift, and entertain. Join hundreds of like-minded men in Nashville on April 15th for this important conference. Tickets will likely sell out, so secure yours today by going to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Again, fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Be part of this really exciting event. It's in April. It's fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Reserve your tickets today. Joe Biden on Thursday uh, ordered a fe- the federal government to do a, a little bit more to address racial inequality as the challenges and complexities of systemic racism are again drawing the public's attention. You know, isn't it time? Isn't it time for us to have a real conversation about race? You may have noticed this. No one ever mentions racism. It's a huge problem in our country. No one is ever talking about it. You know, we need a we don't need just a conversation. We need a national conversation on race because people never mention it. You could turn on the TV for months at a time and I mean, minutes at a time and not hear someone bring up the color of somebody's skin. It's real. We've made so much progress and we just really need to start talking about it more, more talk about racism. That's going to solve the problem. We're doing such a good job. It's going well. We just started talking about racism and it's doing so well. We're almost to the end of it, boys and girls. All we need are more national conversations and we'll get there. So get excited. It's right around the corner. Uh, Just these new racial inequality steps that Biden's going to take as he's in government. And let me give him step number one, if I may. Maybe don't call the new black governor of Maryland boy. Just what what about that? Is that a possibility? Could you try that? Here he is uh, doing just that. And you got a hell of a new governor in West Moore, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woo. He's the real deal, and the boy looks like he can still play. <laughs> he got some guns on him. Now, you definitely don't want to call the black governor of Maryland boy. But you also shouldn't call Sam Brinton a boy. 
because I'm not sure how he identifies today. He's a non-binary former Biden official. He was fired because he was stealing luggage everywhere at the airports. <laughs> Remember this dude? Uh, came out uh, and uh, was picking up uh, fancy luggage and all the, uh, at all the uh, airports and then taking it home and then acting like he didn't actually steal the stuff from uh, the inside of it when he uh, seemingly did. He's been um, now uh, released without bail. Which, again, it's, it's one of these things, like, I feel like if I, I don't do a lot of things that are illegal that you know of. I'm not a big, do, you know, I'm not a big illegal guy. I don't, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a wussy rule follower. Sort of boring that way, I suppose. But it's like, if I were doing something blatantly illegal, like stealing luggage from a freaking airport, an airport where there's cameras everywhere, I feel like I would get in trouble for it. Now, I don't know that for a fact, but man, it seems that way. Every time you roll through a stop sign, you get pulled over. You're going five miles an hour over the speeding limit. You're getting a speeding ticket. And yet this guy is going to get released without bail for stealing luggage all around the country. It really is just fascinating. And of course, the media is not even bothering to really cover it. Uh, There's a new study out as well that finds half of Americans believe news organizations intend to mislead and misinform with their reporting. And I don't believe this report. It's from CNN. Um, and I don't believe it largely because it can't possibly be that low. Only half of Americans believe that. That's, how is that possible? Report found that 72 percent of Americans believe national newsrooms are capable of serving uh, the public, um, but they do not believe that they're well intentioned. Only 23 percent said they believe national newsrooms care about their best interests uh, you know, of the audience, uh, which, again, seems seems like it's got to be off by at least 23 percent. That's just my I mean, am I, am I too? Too pessimistic here? I mean, maybe I am, but I will say, I feel like these numbers should be like 100% don't trust the media. That's seemingly where we should be at this point. We'll, we'll keep working to help you get America to that point. Okay, so here's what happened. A woman, she's uh, looking to get a professional photo shoot, hires a photographer, goes out and, and gets a bunch of pictures taken and pays 100 bucks for the photo. She might be thinking maybe she wants to be an actress and wants to have some nice headshots done. Well, she signs uh, you know, the money over and then signs a contract. Doesn't really read the entire contract, though. And this is, this is a problem that pops up in people's lives over and over again. When you're signing a contract, make sure you read the contract. The bottom of the contract was just a little clause, no big deal, said... Maybe if we want, we can use your photos that we're taking here today that you're paying me for on a stock photo site. We can sell them to a stock photo site. Now, a stock photo site, like you can, if you're, this is used by media companies all the time. You take stock photos of people in different situations and you, you know, put them wherever you can do basically whatever you want with them. The issue here is that this woman trying to be a professional takes these pictures And this is where the picture winds up getting used on the cover of his big childhood sweetheart, black woman, white male, big black woman, plus size childhood sweetheart, billionaire romance, plus size loving billionaires book 10. Now, I don't know how many of the other nine you've read. I've read them all, but let me just give you the plot line of this. A sexy big black woman childhood sweetheart romance by Samantha Drake of the BWWM Club. After spending a few years abroad, Damian Carter is ready to get serious about his family business. But when he reunites with his childhood friend and that friendship turns into something more, things are bound to get complicated. 
especially since his friend is the daughter of his family's maid. <laughs> Evelyn longs to be with Damien, but their difference in social status has always held her back. Yet now Damien has returned no longer a boy, but a man. She can no longer deny what's in her heart. But what will happen when Damien's family catches wind of their relationship? Will Damien and Evelyn be forced to break it off? Or will love find a way? Find out in this emotional yet sexy romance by Samantha Drake of the Black Woman White Male Club. Suitable only for uh, 18 and over due to sizzling hot sex scenes. So you think you're getting headshots and then you wind up on the cover of this puppy. Good luck, we're gonna get a copy. We'll do a reading tomorrow.